Chris Downey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Meryl. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I've never had this before. I'm going to bring this meta. Chris asked me to redo the intro. Yeah, I was just doing terrible. I was doing a bit and it just wasn't going anywhere. That's what, isn't that rewriting? Yes, like I said, it is rewriting. So we, I've, I've already decided I want to rip up what I did and start over again. So now you don't have to hear my terrible tortured bit about why i don't put any decoration in my office i want to hear that torture bit though you maybe we'll do it in the bonus we'll do it we'll do it in the bonus time (laughs) but thanks for having me (laughs) how are you doing i'm doing very well all right uh, making television yeah so i want to start here you had an old podcast that i actually liked which was what was the name of it well, it was called The Downey Files, and it was uh, essentially, I think every writer has crazy half-baked movie ideas, especially TV writers, that they think one day they're going to write, and they're really terrible, and they're written on napkins and scrawled on the back of envelopes. And I had all these things in a drawer, and I thought, uh, wouldn't it be fun to invite other writers on with me to see if we could hash these things out? Uh, and I, we did it, and it was it was a lot of fun because um, these things are never going to turn into anything. You know, at, at a certain point, you have to realize this idea that I had, uh, you know, walking home in the parking lot from a show once is never going to turn into a movie. Here's where I think that show relates here. There's a concept I've started to latch on to with the various guests I've had on this show so far, and it's this concept of writing before rewriting before writing. And it's, I'm, I'm seeing it more and more pop up where the high, the more skilled you seem the they the guest was, the more I noticed that they were talking about rewriting from a place long before they ever put words to the script. John would describe how he would outline and then move the outline over to uh, his screenwriting software, and and then the screen he would start rewriting within the screenwriting software, so that way he never had a blank page. Do you how so how much? Let's start with this because of those half baked ideas, and you develop them and you come up with them. Where does development stop and rewriting them begin in that outline phase? Well, it's a it's a good question. I think my process for a lot of the things that I've done. I mean, my background is I started as a journalist. Really? And, yeah, I was a journalist when I came out of uh, college. I worked for a small paper down in Florida, uh, and I was also a lawyer for a little while. And so I I, I start with a lot of research, um, and that. Not a lot of people do that, but I like to talk to people uh, first. Like, if I have characters that I'm thinking about, I try and find the equivalent real-life person to see if I can find something from them. So my process starts... How many hitmen did you talk to for leverage? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that one one wasn't as... But that one actually had a lot of research, uh, not so much in terms of people, but, you know, we picked up stories of cons and grifts and white collar crime although we did for an episode uh involving the funeral industry we did send a writer down to like some shady funeral home by herself we (laughs) felt a little like maybe we made a mistake here (laughs) she was wandering around caskets and someone was giving her tour anyway so so my process kind of starts with that and so with me the big turning point is when do i stop with the research and actually sit down and start coming up with story beats. That's that's kind of the difficult like point. That's interesting because I feel like most writers would go the other way around. Would do the research to help with like, I want to do X. What's the research I have to do to make X feasible? Right. Whereas it sounds like you started the research. Yeah. On a broad level. Yeah, and, and I'll then g- go I'll, to the story. I'll give you an example because I, 
I, I was actually just talking about this recently. I had this idea uh, for a pilot I wanted to do about a... Um, I, I, I was interested in legal outsourcing. So India now has a lot of lawyers uh, who, are, who are educated in India, but they learn American law. And they work for American law firms as outsourcing firms, doing the work that like first and second year associates at American law like, firms would do. Like the filings and the... Yeah, exactly. Like kind of the stuff that... No one wants the grunt work. The grunt work that a client would pay $100, $150 an hour. And so I started to become start thinking about what if there was a lawyer uh, there who became fascinated with America and the American legal system. And, uh, and I thought to myself, I wonder if I could find this person. So I actually spoke to someone, a legal outsourcing firm here in L.A. They hooked me up with a lawyer, young woman in uh, Delhi. And I started Skyping with her and talking to her about her life and what she thought about the American legal system and what she thought about of America and what her life was like. And that really, you know, became this character that was the lead of this show. And without that, I don't think, you know, the, the, the nugget of the idea which was kind of the relationship between this legal outsourcing lawyer and this kind of cynical, burned-out lawyer in America would not have really come together. All right, that's fascinating, actually. I love the idea of that process because it reminds me of another guy, C. Robert Cargill. Uh, his first novel, which was about uh, fairies, he uh, told me that it's like, if I, whatever I want to do, I go heavy into the research on it first. And there seems to be this logic of... When you do that, when you go heavy on the research, you actually are able to come up with better story because sure. the research can inform the story and the research can take you into new new avenues that you perhaps weren't thinking of. And as it pertains to rewriting, I'm wondering about the writer's desire to hold on to whatever the, the true first vision was and fucking with it when something radically changes it. And when you're going through that, when you're in, when you were in your, when you're in your process, and you're like, I have this idea. And then the research takes you in a completely different direction. How willing are you to just, all right, we're going this way now? Yeah, I, I think I'd like the thing to be real. So, I, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't violate kind of the fundamental idea mm -hmm. of, the, of the story, I will, I'll go in the direction that the truth, where the truth is. Um, so, for example, in, in that case, the... The nugget of the idea I had was that this character, this lawyer in India, had this kind of idealized vision of America, and she got them got that from reading these sort of potboiler legal mystery novels. Uh, so even though the, the the woman I spoke to that wasn't her experience, that mm -hmm. wasn't kind of her point of view, I, I I've said, well, this is kind of how I wanted to to go with it, but. You know, the things that she told me about what her everyday life was like, how she got to work in the morning, what the commute was, what was going on in, with her family and how her, you know, parents were, you know, trying to get her married. You know, those are the things that kind of, you know, really fleshed out the character and made it feel authentic. And that was something that I never would have been able to accomplish sitting, you know, in my garage writing this, uh, you know, when I'm not in Delhi. When you're in the script, uh, let's go through a more practical example. Let's pick a. Le I want you to pick a leverage example for my next question. Sure. When you're heavy into a script and you've so now you've done 
you've done all the research you could possibly do for a given episode. You are, and right. you're now going back into it and you're deciding what to tweak and what not to tweak. How much of those tweaks are informed by your research or the, was all the research done beforehand? Like you've, de- you've decided what path you're on. Or are you always open to that path constantly changing in that rewrite process? I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, we had kind of a, a we had a thing. I'm, I don't know if John's talked about it in, uh, there was a thing we talked about where uh, the example is, you know, in plane crashes, the they call the, you know, the, flight data recorder a black box Mm -hmm. right and that's what it's called well the truth is it's actually orange because they need to be able to see it right so that's an example and we had it we had a lot of them in the show where the if you did the true version it didn't make sense to the audience uh because it was counter to what their understanding of it was so then those cases where it felt like it hurt the story it was better to go with what the audience's perception of it make the box a black box if that's what if that's what you needed it to be for the story even though the, the truth was something mm-hmm. else so we had that fairly often in the show and we we sort of called it the orange box conundrum and what about a show like what about a show like suits that's a very hyper reality driven sure. show and a lot of it's crazy until it's not crazy like the whole like mike's journey in general is insane until you find out a couple times that it actually happened. So when you're on a show like that, is the idea of research pivoting you beholden to what kind of show you're writing or what kind of story you're writing? And that's actually a very good example. So I came on Suits in season uh, four, I think. Mm -hmm. And so the show had been up and running and it's a great show and it's very successful. Uh, But I had experience as a white collar criminal defense lawyer so I looked at things through that prism, and there would be things on the show that I would say, this would never happen. And, you know, I, I got along very well with Aaron Korsh, who's the creator of the show, and executive producer, and I would pick my spots to say, hey, this scene where, the, where Harvey is meeting with the judge uh, in his chambers without the other council president would never happen. And just present that to him, and then he would make the decision whether, for dramatic purposes, he wanted to overlook that. And I'd say on that show, he didn't want the thing to be a you know a, a documentary about the legal system. He wanted the dramatic scenes that he wanted to see. And and you know his perspective on it, he comes out of investment banking, so the law stuff to him was not in the forefront of his mind. He wanted to see scenes where the characters you know, were revealing themselves and going at it. And I and I understand that. You have to kind of pick your spots. You don't want to be the logic cop on every show you're on where you're saying, this would never happen. Uh, I've just been on set with a ex-LAPD officer who does consulting. And I get really get a sense from him that he understands that sort of middle ground of, this is the TV reality of cops. This is, the, this is the, what a real cop would do. And he kind of knows how to straddle both of them, so he's not grinding the production to a halt. Do you think writers would, are doing themselves a disservice when they try to be beholden to quote-unquote truth? You just said that you like the story to feel true, which is why you did that research for about the India lawyer. You know, if you're let so if you're writing a pilot, right? So not 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 so like Suits is a show that like you know it's got it's got its tone decided, right? Correct. It's, and leverage over time, you and John decided this show is a 
comedic light crime drama. We don't have like there's a lot of things that happen in that show where it's like I don't know. Sure. Like, absolutely. You know, so and but there are also shows definitely that I think try to hold true to what reality is, like something like a Mr. Robot, where I think there's enough there's been enough experts that have come out and said, no, this show pretty much gets hacking exactly right. But then in order to compensate for how true to form the hacking is it creates an entire you know multinational conspiracy to sort of wrap around it to sort of like give you this fantastical element so would you say that when writers are going through when they're like i feel like the idea is the idea and the first draft is the first draft the first draft is where you get it all out and then the second i recently had this discussion where it's like the second draft is you basically putting the script into a box it's weird to say this because I know writers like to think outside the box, but my theory is that the goal of a rewrite is to build consistency within the script. And so that way it's not a lot of random paragraphs in one in the first act and then a lot of short dialogue in the second act and then a lot of punchiness in like act five. It's like build consistency. So decide what the what formats you want each going to as far down as how many lines you want each action slug to be like, what's your maximum mm. and things like that. So. When you're going through and you're in that rewrite and you're trying to decide, well, the story, well, this isn't real, but this is better for the story, the story's impactfulness. Um, you know, where's that line for you? Uh, you know, I think the line for me is, is a savvy viewer going to punch out, mm. right? Like, uh, you know, am I, uh, because you hear it from people, you know, you sit around the table there's, there's so many TV shows on and people watch them and they basically are looking for an excuse not to keep watching the show. Right. We've all, we've all you know, spend most of our time with our friends talking about what are you watching. And more often than not, someone will say, oh, I watched this thing and this ridiculous thing happened and I was out. Yes. So to me, if, there's, if I think there's a risk that someone is going to see this super dramatic moment that I've manufactured contrary to reality and they're going to punch out because of it, the cost-benefit analysis for me is better to go with the reality that's not as dramatic and find the drama someplace else. It is fascinating that you use that term, cost-benefit analysis. It's such a clinical term to use when writing, and this is something else. I think rewriting is a... Tell me if you agree with this. Is it rewriting a clinical process? It feels like it's a clinical process. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, when you were talking about the rewriting process, I find the rewriting process to be more about simplifying things mm -hmm. than anything else, uh, making sure that scenes, you know, a, that the point I'm trying to get across in scenes is getting across. More often than not, it's eliminating unnecessary dialogue unnecessary words it's just boiling things it really down. is about cleaning it up for you I, I think so and you know when you look at scripts written by writers who are not that experienced dialogue tends to be big uh you know and if you look at scripts by more experienced writers it's punchy and has more of a flow and i think that's something all writers as they get more experience and have been on sets and seen their dialogue, you know, performed, realized, boy, I didn't need all those words. What's your take on 
scripts. I want based on what you just said about the idea of cleaning it up, because I had this very fascinating discussion in the second episode of this with Sean Ryan, where we talked about scripts to be read versus scripts to be shot, and how I've read multiple uh, production drafts of shows that I love. Right. Then um, the example I've used on this show is the CBS pilot of Limitless, and I love love that pilot with all my ungodly heart and i think it's so efficient the way it use it tells its story and the that whole concept of a pilot can't just be an introduction to your show it has to still feel like an episode of your show and i feel like that pilot really basically made an episode of its show while introducing you to its story and i felt it did it really well i read the script for that show and the script's a slog it re it's a slog of a read which i was like but I love the the end product so much. How is this possible? And what Sean and I came to the conclusion of was it's not at all surprising to him that there is a script that is a slog to read that's dirty and sort of not at all fun, like a fun thing to like a page turner because it's not about you know a script not meant to be read. It's not about pleasing Meryl Barr, the guy who wants to read the script for funsies. It's about delivering information to the people that need it. Right. And when I'm, you s- I'm sure people have made this comparison, but a script is a blueprint, right? Yes, yes. It's a blueprint for a house. Right. You're when you look at a set of blueprints, you're not getting the aesthetic uh of, you know, joy of looking at a beautifully constructed house. You're right. you're seeing a set of instructions right. for different artisans to but make It's why something. I find it interesting that you use the term clean uh when you say when you agree that free writing is cleanup. Because what kind of cleanup is it then? Because the cleanup is not to make it read easier. The clean is it? Because well, I think it's in terms of dialogue. I think the cleanup is to pace it up and mm-hmm. to make it easier to perform and to not, you know, saddle you know a- a- actors in a two-hander scene with giant speeches. I don't, you know, I don't think that lends itself to you know a, f- a fast-paced show. It depends upon the show. I mean, if you're doing a show where people are making big speeches in every scene, then it's if great. If you're Aaron Sorkin, it's totally okay. It's great. But I mean, look, even Aaron Sorkin, the rhythm of an Aaron Sorkin scene is fast-paced, walk-and-talk yeah. dialogue. Yeah. So, you know, I, that at least, that, so that's my experience of it. It's it's looking at it and saying, why do I need all these words? What am I, what am I trying to get across here? Am I trying to convey multiple ideas in a scene and it's becoming muddy? And I just so wanted you, to distill it down so to one idea. So when you say idea. clean up, you don't mean clean up in terms of the, as John said, the physical weight of the script. You don't. You're not looking for clean up in terms of the, what makes this fun to read. You're talking about clean up in the conveying of information to the people that need it. Yeah. So because the another another episode, I'm drawing all that episodes down because I'm getting further and further into the show and finding all of this actually far more fascinating than I thought I was going to. And another thing that came up was with Mark Bernardin. And we talked about there's a movie I've, I've been I've become now obsessed with The Big Short. Sure. And the thing about The Big Short that's so interesting to me is how great it is, despite being the least subtle thing you've ever seen in your life. It is the least subtle movie about one of the most uh, subtle and complex things to ever happen to the United States: the housing market crash, and. The way they convey their information is like in your face, turn to camera, fourth wall breaks, cameos by celebrities to actually explain.
To hear the rest of this episode, head on over to patreon.com slash wordtetris.